Good morning, everybody. Good morning online. Glad you guys are joining us as well. Love that we were just singing about a living hope. And uh, I honestly wonder as we're going through this Christmas season, uh, you know, we all kind of know the gig, right? We just know how to go through the Christmas season and we can honestly forget that what we're celebrating is what we just sang about, a living hope. It changes everything. It changes everything about us, everything about life, everything about our future. We're talking about hope today, so incredibly, incredibly important. I hope that none of us will just go through the motions this Christmas. I hope it will be radically life-changing for all of us. Well, we're going to be in a number of places uh, in our Bibles today, but we are in this season of Advent, as uh, Jeff was mentioning earlier. And uh, what we do in Advent as the big C church, like we're part of Christians, right, all over the world. And what we're all doing is we're looking back uh, with celebration in the first appearance of Christ in his incarnation. And then at the same time, we're eagerly looking forward with anticipation to his return. And uh, obviously, Christians have been doing that for a very, very, very long time. And we're still doing that, fully confident that that day is ahead of us, whether it happens in our lifetimes or uh, after uh, we leave this earth. So all in all, we want to say this, that Advent is a season we celebrate and a truth we proclaim. It's a season that we celebrate, again, looking backward and uh, celebrating the birth of Christ and all that, but it is a truth that we proclaim individually and as a community of faith. We have a key passage for this year's Advent series that will guide our uh, I guess our proclamation. It's out of 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7. So if you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7. Let me read that to you. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Paul is writing to uh, the early church and he is speaking to them about Christ. So he says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, if you have entrusted your life to Christ, then you have this treasure. It's in you. If you haven't yet entrusted your life to Christ, then you don't, but you're going to hear about it today and in the coming weeks. And you're going to be able to not only believe that and apprehend that and apply that to your life for yourself by grace, through faith, but you will become a proclaimer. You'll be one who gets to declare this beautiful truth to others as you grow in your understanding of it. 
Now, it's interesting that Paul says that believers have this treasure, but we have it in jars of clay. I love that picture. It's one of my favorite images in all of the Bible. Every person in here, every Christ follower is a jar of clay holding a priceless treasure. That treasure in uh, Paul's passage is this, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the treasure that you possess. But as a jar of clay, as jars of clay, we are vessels that are fragile, vulnerable, simple. Think about first century clay, hand-crafted, naturally fractured, probably in some sense. That's what's true of all of us. And yet, isn't it amazing that that's where God decided to deposit this beautiful, priceless treasure about the sun? That's where we start today thinking about this amazing gift. Now, during the four Sundays of Advent, we are going to mine or extract, if you think about uh, a treasure kind of imagery, we're going to mine or extract four priceless properties or qualities of this treasure. And it's in four words, hope, joy, love, and peace. Hope, joy, love, and peace. So today, our focus as we've been singing about and already talking about is uh, hope. So we're going to start there, and each week we'll hit a new theme and light a new candle and work our way toward the uh, celebration of Christ himself. As I think about hope, I can't think of many things, maybe anything at all, that is more desperately needed today. Is that fair? We look around and... um, All of the threats, all of the challenges, all of the confusion, all of the chaos, all of the hostility, every bit of that can make us a hopeless lot and can put us in a place where we really do wonder, is this all going to work out okay? And we try to arrange our lives so that we feel like it will work out. And yet there's something in us we just know that we don't have control. We can't make things work out exactly as we would like. And so we do have to ask and answer the big question, where will we place our hope? Now, as Christ followers, at some point in our life, we did place that in Christ. In a very simple way, we saw that we were sinners, separated from God, unable to save ourselves. We need a savior to die in our place so that our sins can be forgiven. So we placed our hope, our faith in him. But yet there's this practical, every single day you wake up and get out of bed and you face the world that you face. You gotta decide again, not for salvation, but just for living. Where will you place your hope? I hope today will help you and I do that really, really well. Hope is needed where Fear and uncertainty dwell. That's why we need it. Hope can refer to the act of hoping or the object of one's hope. 
It stresses two things, a, future, a futurity, like looking forward, and an uh, invisibility, something that you can't see, but you believe is out there ahead of you. Hope in Scripture, and this is so important, is a strong and confident expectation. So it's not, I repeat, not wishful thinking. We're not crossing our fingers. If we have biblical hope, we have great confidence, great expectation. Gospel-grounded hope involves at least a couple of things, certainly more than this, but let me mention them to you. First of all, gospel-grounded hope involves patient endurance amid life's futility while waiting for redemption that is yet to be seen. Here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes this reality. He says, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. That's biblical hope. That's gospel-grounded hope. Gospel-grounded hope also involves confidence about the return of Christ without the certainty of the timing of that return. That's the part that we just have to say to the world, we don't know. We just know that he's coming. And we're glad to wait patiently for that. Biblical hope is not an escape from reality. In fact, it's quite the opposite. If you have biblical hope, you are as engaged in the reality of this present darkness as you could ever be. It propels you into that with light, with truth, with hope. So it propels us into action. And I thought today as we think about hope, let's look at some moments where some heralds of hope brought that into this present darkness and spoke to people just like you and me. And let's see what difference hopes make, hope makes in their lives and in their experience. The first is in, uh, all of these are from the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 28. And this is the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, who would be the mother of Jesus. This is his first announcement to her. Um, just imagine that. <laughs> just try and put yourself in her shoes or sandals or whatever. Um, and just imagine, what, what was that moment like when she is approached by Gabriel? Here's what he said to her in Luke 1, 28 through 33. Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, that is Mary, at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There he says it again. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Um, now, I just want to mention, as we're going through these passages, typically we're teaching through a book, and we are really digging down into the details of a very particular text. This is more of a topical message, so we're going to hit a number of passages that all speak to the same topic. So I just want to set your expectations that we're just picking out a few things from this passage that help us understand this theme of hope. Now, what do we know about Mary? She was young, I think maybe poor, probably fairly obscure. She's a teenager. She's uh, engaged to Joseph. She's likely from the tribe of Levi. We do know that her and Joseph are in the lineage of David. That's why the angel could refer to uh, their son being uh, connected to David. So it's not as if she was like the most popular in her little area. Like she was the best of the best, the cream of the crop, and somehow God noticed her and thought, wow, I need to get her on my team. He chose her. And probably to the surprise of everybody. And she's right in the line of what God has done all throughout history, which points us back to the whole nation of Israel, another little, obscure, peculiar group of people that God happened to choose to accomplish his purpose. Now, the nation of Israel dwells in the promised land at this point, right? They're there. Gabriel's coming to Mary in the land that was promised to Israel, but they don't possess it, do they? They are ruled by Rome. They live under a ruthless and oppressive empire. I, I don't think that Mary, if she were just to describe her life as a whole, she might say, well, it's okay, but it's not awesome. And actually, there's a lot about life that's very hard and confusing and scary. That's the context of this arrival of Gabriel with this news. And then the people of Israel, they've been given enormous promises and they all know the promises. They're, they're given those from the day they take their first breath. They've wandered horribly. Just read your Old Testament. Hone in on the book of Judges. And they're probably wondering if God will ever fulfill those promises and bring a deliverer that will completely set them free. It's been 400 years since God spoke to these people. 400 years, four centuries. I think to describe Israel and maybe even Mary as hopeless isn't a stretch. Now, they may not be like desperately waking up every day in a ditch, but, but you know, we can live hopelessly and it not be obvious to everybody, but, but we're still, we're kind of holding on to those things that we can control and manage and, and be on top of rather than living abandoned to our God. That's hopeless. And then Gabriel appears and says, Hey, Mary, the Lord is with you. 
She might have wondered, but he's letting her know. He's not just with you, he's given you favor. Wow. Favor of God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And you, Mary, obscure, teenager, maybe a nobody, you're going to bear Jesus, the Son of the Most High, the King of all of Israel. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? We sang about it a moment ago, but hope has a name. God made it very personal. That's our first herald. Gabriel coming to Mary and announcing that. Now, what does it look like if you have hope? I think Mary models that for us in verses 46 through 55. Here's how Mary responded. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on, my, on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is commonly known as Mary's Magnificat. And here's what I want us to notice. When she hears this announcement from Gabriel, and as she declares all that she has just declared, nothing has changed. All she's had is what must have been a life-changing exchange or exposure to an angel. That would be pretty spectacular, right? But her circumstances have not changed. All she has is a promise. That's it. She's going to have to wake up the next day and remember what Gabriel said and then live as if that promise is either true or false. There's no in-between. And then the second day, guess what she's going to have to do? Wake up again and decide again. Am I going to live in light of this promise that I have received? Or am I going to try and figure something else out? And that's what all of us do. Enormous promises from God. Many, maybe most of which have nothing to do directly with this life. All about our future and our eternity. And we have to decide, are we going to live as if those promises are true? Or not? Let's see how she talks about the activity. I'm, I'm pulling from that passage I just read. She has, she has confidence that future generations will call her blessed. So in light of everything that Gabriel promised her, she is fully confident that everybody after her is going to look back and go, wow. 
And here we are, 2,000 years later, saying, wow, amazing. She celebrates great things, past tense, that were done for her and those who fear him. That is a, a really important thing about this passage. There are things said in the past tense that haven't yet happened. Hope speaks about the future with such certainty that it sounds as if it's already happened. That's how hope talks. Mary states emphatically that God has, past tense, shown strength, that he has scattered the proud, has dethroned the mighty, has exalted the humble, filled the hungry, and sent out the rich. I wonder if you and I have such certainty about God fulfilling his promises to us that we speak about it as if it's already done. That's how hope speaks. And I want you to notice that the promises of Gabriel are linked to the promises of God made to Abraham and their forerunners. So there's a lot of history kind of built into this. And it surfaces the relationship between faith and hope. You know, we're studying through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So faith and hope have this interesting relationship that there are certainly things that we can grasp in the here and now, but so much of it is ahead of it. Uh, Kevin just prayed this. We didn't talk ahead of time, so I was kind of excited to hear that he read this, but from Romans 8. Remember, it talked all about the groaning and the struggle, right? Going through life, not being able to see everything all at once. And yet, in verse 24, in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There is a rest, there is an assurance, there is a confidence that comes with a firm belief that God will do what he says he will do. Now, despite all that, heralds can be hesitant. And so our next illustration here is uh, a hesitant herald, um, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He is approached as well. And um, he's a priest. He's in the area of the temple right outside of the Holy of Holies. And he's approached by an angel who says he's going to have a son, John the Baptist. You can read all about that. Um, he's old, way, 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 way past childbearing years. And this is just impossible to him. And so he does what any good priest would do. He asks for a sign. That was a mistake. <laughs> like he's the one guy who's supposed to go, okay, angel, if you said it, it's happening. He asks for a sign. And so Gabriel says, I'll give you a sign. You aren't going to talk for nine months. <laughs> Jeff says that'd be bad. Yeah, I understand, Jeff. I do. <laughs> God mutes Zechariah until his miracle baby is born. And then he has a lot to say. 
beautiful thing, hope-filled words. Listen to this in Luke 1, 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, speaking to his son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. I, I took, I'm sorry. You child, speaking of, uh, yeah, his son, you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give uh, knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. With fresh perspective, Zechariah remembers and recognizes the promises of God. And you see his shifting, like, I don't need a sign anymore. I know that God is who he uh, says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. And he declares that with reckless abandon. And he repeats to his uh, infant son what Gabriel said would be true of him nine months earlier. John would eventually be a prophet to the promised Messiah. And he would make a way for the Lord. He would become a herald of hope. So Zechariah was hesitant. He came around and his son was the forerunner of Christ. Here's a few things that can stand in the way of us joining our voice with the heralds of scripture and even those of today. The first is just simple unbelief. And unbelief for us as Christ followers typically comes when our circumstances seem to overwhelm those things that God has said are true. And so I, I think even recently we talked about it, doubt just all by itself isn't completely bad. Sometimes it can be really healthy because we're wrestling with our faith. But it's so important for us to say, you know, my circumstances don't dictate what is true. God's word dictates what is true. And I understand my circumstances. I look at all of life, everything that I can see, I put it through the filter of what God says is true. And that helps me understand life rightly. And it helps me walk full of hope instead of being battered around by my circumstances. So unbelief can keep us from joining our voice as a herald. Secondly, cynicism. And that is kind of an attitude where I know what the Bible says, I'm just not sure it's all that it says. You know, you just kind of go, I know it's, I mean, it sort of it makes people feel good and it's sort of inspirational, but I mean, if you get down to the reality of life, it's that kind of perspective. Versus saying, first of all, the world doesn't understand this. It, it, we look like fools to trust in a God we can't see. 
because this Bible says that he is? Like that, that looks foolish to the world. We just have to come to terms with that. If we don't, we can become kind of cynical and still look to the world for answers, for hope. Lastly, short-sightedness. And that's just uh, an excessive focus on the immediate and failing to think about the eternal. And we as Christ followers, we're called to do just the opposite of that. Eternity is supposed to fill our gaze and help us, again, live with the temporary reality of life. This is just a breath. It's a blip. And then all of eternity follows. So those things can keep us from being the heralds God intends for us to be. And I would just say, these are great struggles to bring to God and to the community of faith. Like, let's go to one another and certainly let's go to the Lord and say, you know what? I'm struggling with some unbelief. Help me to believe. I'm struggling with some cynicism. I'm having a hard time here. Help me to, to bring truth into that. I'm struggling with short-sightedness. These are great things to communicate to the Lord and to each other and to let him speak into those things in a similar way that God spoke into Zechariah's reality. These passages can actually be great sources of help in your struggles to go, this is what God said. These are his words. These are what help us see life rightly and trust fully one more herald here this is uh, the angelic herald that appears to the shepherds right after the birth of christ this is an angel of the lord in luke 2 9 through 11 and luke writes this an angel of the lord appeared to them that is the shepherds and the glory of the lord shone around them And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I absolutely love that this moment is preserved in Scripture. Again, Let's kind of set aside all of our familiarity with the Christmas stories and just imagine you're a shepherd standing out in the middle of a field with a bunch of sheep running around. It's just another day. Looking up at the starry skies and all of a sudden, an angel appears. An angel and a heavenly host and lots of bright lights at night in the sky. (laughs) that'll get your attention, right? You might even feel a little fear, perhaps terror. And then the angel speaks. He says, don't be afraid. I have got great news. Now you're on the edge of your seat. What might it be? Keep in mind, these are just the most common of people, shepherds doesn't mean they're less than. It just means they're just like all of us. They're just out there doing their thing. And isn't it beautiful that God went to them 
and said, guess what, guys? I've got great news for you, but it's not just for you. It's for all the people. This is the greatest news on earth, and you get to hear it first. Here's the assumption in that. It wasn't just for them. It was for everybody else, and guess how everybody else is going to hear it? These guys. They're going to walk around, and they're going to go, yo, Bob, you're not going to believe what happened last night. (laughs) And they're going to talk about a savior, a deliverer, the fulfillment of those beautiful promises that every Israelite had heard of all of their lives. These guys get to deliver the news. I think that means we get to deliver the news. Just common folk like us. Nothing special, nothing spectacular, We just kind of do our thing day in and day out, but we hold treasure in jars of clay. And we are a people of hope. What began with shepherds continues throughout all of history, especially in the early church. The good news of great joy announced to those shepherds becomes the news that Paul would later talk about in the passage I read at the beginning of this message. I want to read it again and then just make a couple of observations. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7, for what we proclaim, Paul says, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This good news is good because God is good. This good news is good because of who it is about, not because we decided that we like it or that it somehow, quote, works in everyday life. It's good all by itself, completely apart to what we think about it. In fact, I would just say, like it or not, we need it, don't we? We got to have hope of some kind and it's like the Lord says here it is I'm going to give you the hope that you need and the question is will you receive it and will you hold on to it God has graciously shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that is in you Now, I want to rewind centuries before the fulfillment of this promise in the person of Christ to a passage made by Jeremiah and the weeping prophet, need I say more? If there were anybody that could have been hopeless, it's him. 
And yet these words are full of hope, heart-filling hope. Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to all those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. A couple of quick observations and we'll wrap up. Hope is the fruit of of fixing our minds on the person and provision of the Lord. Notice, hope doesn't just overwhelm him. He fixes his mind on it, and therefore he has it. I'll just speak for me. God's love for me and his mercies never come to an end. And that's true for you as well. I wake up to fresh expressions of God's loving kindnesses every day. And there are plenty of days where I wonder if I've run out. And I'm so reassured by these words. We're told that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is not a license to sin. That is fuel to follow Christ ever more passionately. So this gives us hope, not just so that we can live any way we want to, but because God is with us. And as he said to Mary, yeah, we have his favor upon us. That doesn't make me want to sin more. It makes me want to sin less. God cannot be unfaithful. He can't do it. That is an impossibility for you. Let that fuel your hope. God is enough, completely sufficient. He will, as I've said a thousand times, always give you what you need to do what he's called you to do. None of us will ever regret waiting on God's perfect provision. So here's a prayer that I want to offer for you guys for consideration. Maybe a prayer that you can pray throughout um, this Advent season, but certainly as it relates to hope. Just write down Romans 15, 13. And I'm going to read this. And just as a so what today, I, I want to give you an opportunity to ask the Lord, like, how... How do you need to take this concept of hope and the reality of hope and apply that right here, right now, as you head into this Christmas season? But um, I want to read this prayer and then give you that opportunity to do that. Paul writes in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that 
the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So I, just take a moment. You may relate to Mary or Zechariah or maybe shepherds standing in a field somewhere. You may be in a really tough spot that's making hope a hard thing to possess. But it's in you. Jars of clay, but it's in you. Ask the Lord how you might apply the truth of that hope today. And then I'll pray for us to close. Father in heaven, I don't know what kind of hopelessness might be true of all of us who are here in this room and those of us who are joining live stream. Lord, uh, probably all of us feel that to, to some degree. And so, Father, we come to you with our need. We need you to help us hope. Lord, thank you for your word that does reassure us of what is true. Lord, thank you for the perfect fulfillment of your promises that we read of in uh, your scriptures. And then, Lord, so much of that points our attention to a future that is yet to uh, occur. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hold fast to those things that uh, we have seen to happen uh, and believe that you will certainly bring all things to their right end. You'll make all things new. You will be honored high and lifted up. And we will get to spend eternity with you in heaven. So, Lord, would you help us hold on to that? to hold on to hope, to cherish this treasure that you have placed within us. And then, Lord, I, I want to ask today that in these weeks ahead, when so many people are thinking about the significance of this season and perhaps wrestling with the difficulty of this life, Lord, would you give us great courage to speak of the hope that we have within us. Lord, could we offer that hope to others at work, neighbors, friends, wherever we might cross paths, Lord, help us to willingly, eagerly offer that hope to others in the person of Christ. Thank you, Father. We love you. We thank you for loving us. Pray that you'd be honored in the rest of our day. In Jesus' name.
Amen.